Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 233 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, and entrepreneur, here to help you figure out this recovery thing, figure out this life thing, and do it better and feel better. You're going to love today's guests. We actually have two guests. It's a father and son team, Stephen and Matthew Fisher, and they have gone through this journey of addiction and healing. They're on the other side of it now. They've written a book uh, called Light Shines Through the Broken Pieces, A Father and Son's Journey to Healing. And Stephen, the father, is a therapist. Matthew is this wonderful, vibrant person, and they really just share their stories of from each side of it, right? From the point of the person going through addiction and mental health struggles and from the point of view of the family. And it's no secret addiction is a family affair, right? It's There is a genetic hereditary component to this. Most of us that have addiction issues can look through our family and see other people with addiction addiction issues and or mental health struggles. Just because it doesn't manifest as addiction doesn't mean it's not there. (laughs) You know, it can come out in other ways. But I think you're going to really love their story and how they've come together and continued to keep the love strong through one of the hardest journeys a family will ever go through. And I will link to their book, of course, in the show notes. They also do workshops. And of course, they'll be in the Facebook group with me doing an after the podcast video, after the interview video. So you'll see that in the Facebook group. If you're not a member there, join. Uh, You can find us Addiction Unlimited on Facebook. I will link that in the show notes as well. And for those of you that are thinking about working with me, I do have a couple of spots opening up and you can book a call with me at addictionunlimited.com forward slash call. Again, that's addictionunlimited.com forward slash call. That's the best way to get started. And I hope you love this episode. This is Stephen and Matthew Fisher. I am super excited to get into this conversation with both of you, Stephen and Matthew Fisher. You have a book to talk about. You have some pretty transformational programs, workshops that you've got coming up, and I want to hear about all of those things. But really quickly, let's start with Matt. Why don't you jump in and just let all the listeners know a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, So I have a background in outdoor education and addiction. My first kind of experience working in mental health was was working in wilderness therapy, um, which I did right after getting my associate's degree in outdoor education. Um, and then after that, for the last three years, I've been working in residential drug and alcohol treatments. Currently, I'm working on a degree in addiction psychology. And yeah, still, I mean, outdoor education is, is just such a huge route for me. And, and I work for Outward Bound um, and just different things like that. So I, you know, kind of moving forward, it's really just finding that way to, to meld my passion of like addiction recovery with the outdoors and nature and, and really helping people kind of, you know, find themselves um, 
I also teach yoga and meditation. So that's been like a huge part of my recovery and my journey. So just all, all you know, I'm, I'm 25. So I'm still trying to figure out what, what I want to be when I grow up, but some, something along all those lines. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm 50 and I'm still figuring yeah. it out. <laughs> okay. Steven, how about you? Why don't you same thing? Just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do. And for everybody out there, Steven is dad, Matt is son. <laughs> Correct. Um, yeah, so I'm a licensed therapist. I've been a therapist for 25, 30 years. Um, my wife is a therapist, and we're kind of a family of therapist-type people, you might say. Um, and this is not just something that we talk about and that we teach and that work with people. This is something we practice and we live and we believe in, and it's a way of life. And all these things we'll talk about today with our, our book and the process with Matthew and I is things we are living and we're practicing. We're doing our best to really put into practice everything. We're teaching others and things that we've been through. So I love being a therapist. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And I feel very, very blessed to do what I do. And I feel very blessed to have Matthew as a son. Perfect. And for you, in your practice as a therapist, do you focus specifically on addiction or do you treat myriad of things? A lot of things. So not just, I do okay. treat addictions, but I also treat anxiety, depression, relationship issues, parenting, all, all those sorts of things. Any Anything around family and mental health, as well as addictions, I talk about all of it pretty much. And I appreciate too that talking about really living it and practicing what you preach in your daily life. That's such a huge component of all of this. And it's one of my favorite things about being a helping professional as well as a recovering person, because it really holds my feet to the fire. You know, like I'm really, I have to show up. I have a lot of accountability and I love that for me because I need it. <laughs> right. And accountability is not a bad word. It's a, it's a good word. It's actually a, a very positive association for me because it's really about being being healthy, being happy, being powerful in life and learning how to do that in a way that empowers those around me. And so accountability is a beautiful word in my book. Yeah, me too, because it's also, it's the accomplishment that comes with it, right? When you do have certainly external accountability, your the chances that you're going to follow through and really accomplish what you want are far greater. So I agree. It is a, a really positive connotation. Absolutely. Matt, I want to ask you a couple of questions about outdoor therapy. Is that what you called it? Did I say that right? Uh, wilderness therapy. Wilderness therapy. Okay. What's your degree? Outdoor education. There we go. I was mixing those two. Okay. So Tell everybody a little bit about what is the difference in a wilderness program versus a traditional inpatient treatment center? Yeah, so th there's a lot of different kinds of wilderness programs. Um, the one I, I was working for, and, and I've had some friends kind of working in the industry, they, they tend to be pretty crisis-oriented. Like, you know, kids usually don't end up in there unless it's pretty significant. So it's kind of like a, a crisis stabilization. You, they're usually out there from one to three months. Um, and it's like backpacking and, and kind of how it was working with where I was at. It was, we were out there. I was like a guide, so I wasn't a therapist. So the kids were out there with guides for however long. And then once a week, they would go back and meet with an actual therapist. And then we were kind of trying to add in some of that stuff while we were hiking. But it is kind of a mixed bag. It can be intense to have that many um, teenagers out there that, that don't want to be there and, and a lot of running away and a lot of self-harm. And 
Um, but I, I will say there's there's a ton of research on just what what how um, effective it is to remove someone from their environment and put them in the wilderness or in nature and, and really just give them opportunity to look um, at themselves. So I think there's a lot of companies that do it very well, some that don't. And um, I feel like uh, voluntary programs are a lot more effective. I don't I didn't necessarily like kind of feeling like. Um, you know, I was I was forcing anyone to be out there, and um, and I worked for Outward Bound, and they had a really cool at, at risk program. I didn't ever work for them, but um, a lot of a lot of kind of different ways people are, are trying to get kids out there, and I think that's the biggest thing is just getting getting you know being in the wilderness and, and being in a group just makes someone develop so many skills and a lot of self confidence, social skills, and really just connect with themselves in nature. So having any outdoor program, wilderness or not, is 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 really helpful, especially for teens. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Even as an adult, several years ago I went to a program where I was kind of off the grid. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you it was wilderness because it definitely wasn't, but it had its luxury elements. But but really no cell phone service, right? We were in a super hot, humid climate. Um, it was all health and wellness, taking care of yourself, loving your body. So there was no hair and makeup and dressing up every day. I mean, it was, you were just you. And I remember when we first got there, the first few hours, I felt some anxiety, right? That I didn't have cell phone service. We also didn't have Wi-Fi like in our rooms. Like you had to go down to the main area was the only spot with Wi-Fi. And I am an introvert and an isolator. So of course I want to just lock myself in my hut with my computer and probably work too much because that's what I do. But for the first few hours, I had some anxiety about not having all of that stuff, you know, not being connected. But I'm telling you, by the next morning, waking up, it was so freeing to just not think about those things and not worry about those things and not worry about checking the email every five minutes and just being yourself and connecting with the people around you and we started every morning with an hour-long beach walk, and the first 30 minutes of it was silent. And I, it was just an incredible experience. But it was surprising to me how freeing it felt once you kind of let go of being so connected. Do you see that with young people, or is it different for them because they're more connected? I think there's like a lot more initial anxiety <laughs> which can sometimes last the entire time. Um, yeah, and, and I, there was a group, because they put us in different groups, and there was a group uh, with kids with video game addiction. But um, I, it, like, I, I feel like the, like the level of technology used with kids is, is reaching very addictive levels. And, and so, yeah, very intense anxiety and, and FOMO and all this stuff and, and lots of, I remember... Yeah, one one teenage girl crying just for days because because she was missing her TikTok followers, and <laughs> I did find that like I, I felt like especially like kind of once they'd been in there for a week or two, like a lot of that was they'd find ways to kind of deal with it and and really just find like I remember like kids being like oh like I never knew I could entertain myself outdoors or like have so much fun with other people or like me and my friends never really talk like this and, and it's just so cool. So I think it's mixed. I think it takes like a lot more time for kids, especially nowadays to like kind of acclimate to, to losing their phone or, or technology, but it, it is really beneficial in the long run, you know, if you can kind of get over that. Well, I would think too, because young people now have, have had 
devices and internet and all of that stuff their whole lives. I mean, for me, I lived so far as of now, half my life almost, you know, like before we had computers and internet and and all of those things. I mean, we had them on a much smaller degree, like in my early 20s and we had phones and, you know, it was the beginning of that. But it's not so challenging, I think, for older people, partially because we have more self-regulation and emotional regulation, but also because, I mean, I lived a lot of my life without all of those things. So I know I can survive without them. And Stephen, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your journey as a parent with Matt, like going through, like what did what did this process look like for you in discovering he had issues with substance and getting to a place, deciding that there had to be some sort of help, that he needed to get sober. What was that like from your point of view? Right. So I think one of the first moments where I realized that Matthew and I were probably going to write a book about this was when he was 13. And I told him he had to go finish vacuuming, right, because I felt like he did a halfway job. And um, he punched me in the face hard as he could, full on, just bam. And in that moment, I was like, oh, wow. And I felt really shocked. And I felt, I didn't consider hitting him back for a second. I was just really, it was shocking. And that's when it started to dawn on me, oh, we got a real problem here. Because by that time, the addiction had started to already take off. And I wasn't really fully aware of the extent of it until that moment. Once that happens, like, oh, okay. And it's funny because... A couple hours later, he'd say, well, he, he hit me in the jaw, and he cut his, his, cut his knuckles on my jaw. And, I mean, it was, it was fine. I had a little cut, but it wasn't horrible. And so a couple hours later, we're in the ER, and I have to go take him in to get stitches on his hand. And the doctor asked me what happened. I said, well, he hit me in the face. And uh, so the doctor looks at me, and he sees the cut on my jaw. It's right here. And then he looks at Matthew. He looks at Matthew all up and down really intentionally. And the doctor is a mandated reporter. He's looking right. for any marks or bruises on Matthew to see if I had hit him back. Because if I did, he would have had to report me. And I was, first of all, I was just like, you know, Phew, thank God I didn't hit him back. But also just knowing that there's a real responsibility, not only to keep myself accountable as an adult to a higher standard of behavior, but also to keep my focus on my love for my son. And even in that moment, it wasn't anger. It was hurt even for the moment. But even through all that, I had this instant compassion for the depth of what he was going through. And that moment was realizing it was a lot deeper than I thought it was. And around the same time, he, you know, we, of course, we're, we're, there's a lot of weed in his room and things like that. And we actually, one time we took him and his weed to the cops and I turned the weed in and he had to do classes and he, you know, the charges were all erased because he did the classes, but, you know, we were pretty clear that you had to, we were trying to nip that in the bud, and of course we were not fully successful on that, but I think we set a message from the very beginning, and those are kind of the beginning stages when I was realizing, oh, okay, this is a lot more serious than I thought it was, and Matthew had always um, had more of an intense temperament. You notice he's got red hair, and he he has the full redhead gene that has all, you know, has the intense emotions that go along with it, but it's also the passion. And what I've seen is that intense emotions of that anger and that hurt and that intense angst turn into a deep passion in a, for life and a drive. It's the same emotion. It's just transformed into something really beautiful. So we've noticed those really um, intensely emotional tendencies from the very beginning when he was born. 
but now through this process, they've really transformed into something really beautiful. And Matthew's gift is he says exactly what he thinks and he goes for what he wants. You just don't stop him. That's always been his gift and his curse, of course. And he's still that way. But that gift is much more transformed into much more and much more positive gift towards life rather than just screw all this. I'm going to go use. Yeah. Did he have any like oppositional defiance, like even as a younger child, were there behavior struggles with his temper and things like that? Oh, absolutely. So there's a story when, when Matthew, when you were um, three, I guess, maybe three or three, coming up on four, where we were driving home and um, my twins who were two years younger than him. So when my twins were two years younger, we were driving home in the car and the kids were, the twins were going to sleep in the car seats and I was pulling the old drive around a little longer so the kids mm-hmm. would go to sleep trick. And as soon as I passed the exit to our house, because I was driving a little farther, Matthew said, hey, I want to go home now. You're going the wrong way. And he proceeded to a full-on meltdown. I tried all the, you know, threats, tone of voice, whatever, and nothing. He was just completely losing it. And we got home about, you know, 10 minutes later, and he was just completely melting down. And so my wife, Liz, comes out because she was at home, and she takes him to the living room to find out, find out what's going on. I get the kids, my, my twins, up to sleep in their beds. And so I sit on the couch, and Matthew just, he says, I want Daddy to go away. And he's and then he's ranting for about five minutes, and he finally says, I want to burn Daddy's work clothes. And this is three years old. Come up on four. I'm like, do you want to burn my play clothes? He's like, no, I want to burn your work clothes. And I realize, oh, I've been, like, working a lot. The, you know, the weeks where I, I've gone on a couple of business trips, I've been gone a lot. And he had been really missing me, and he didn't know how to express that. The only way a three-year-old knew how to do it was by losing his temper and by having a complete meltdown. And so I said, oh, okay. So we talked, and I got teary and emotional because here's one of the people who's most important in my life. And I realized I haven't had the time of day for him for the last month because I've been just swamped with my, with my work. And I got it really emotional. And then as soon as he saw that I got it, his anger stopped like that. And he came out of his mom's lap. He sat in my lap. He grabbed my arms. He wrapped my arms around him, which is what he did when he was that age. And we talked. And I said, look, buddy, I know I got to work, but I can do better than this. I know I can. If you ever you need me, let's talk about it. So, so yes, Matthew did absolutely have the intense emotions. But there, I don't want to say he had it in a vacuum. There was mm-hmm. also issues in our family that triggered those emotions. And the more I could look at what my issues were and what our family dynamics were that were impacting him and we could talk about it that would actually help us resolve those in a really beautiful way and i think all that kind of bridges of communication that we built when he was young absolutely helped us through the tough times as a teenager as well so um yes he always had those emotions from the very beginning he came out like a warrior he would get sticks he would go as a baby he was just that way (laughs) came out that way and and using that and learning how to keep that that communication going was absolutely beautiful and is what helped us through to help Matthew get to where he is today and help us as a family get to where he is today because Matthew's anger and all his addiction issues and all the ups and downs was truly a gift. It, it woke us all up and helped us look at our own issues as a family and helped Matthew look at his own issues and we've all grown together and gotten to a really beautiful place together but it's come by us all looking at our own part of it not just blaming Matthew for his issues and his temper because he, he was born that way. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate you really talking about that, looking, everybody looking at their own part, because we were talking about this a minute before I started recording, 
you know, it is, I do interventions a lot and everybody is just always pointing the finger at the addict. And these are conversations that we have to have because first of all, there is a hereditary genetic component to addiction also. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just because Absolutely. somebody doesn't manifest as addiction with substance, it might be coming out a different way. It could be workaholism. Absolutely. It could be anxiety or depression. I mean, all those things kind of play together. So, Or, or perfectionism or control absolutely. or things like that. Rage is a big one. Or too. overworking, which is what I do. Yeah, know? yeah. But it is so right. important. And, and this is something I talk about all the time on the podcast, too. And one of the reasons I do have done the podcast for so long, because it is as human beings, I think it is our natural inclination to always want to point the finger at the other person. Well, this is what you're doing. This is what you said. This right. is the mistake you made. And we forget yeah. to really look at ourselves and what our behavior is and what our responsibility is and, and how we play a role in all the situations that create our lives. So I just so appreciate you talking Absolutely. about that piece of it because it, it is about personal responsibility and really recognizing there are things we can control and things we can't control. I can't control another person's behavior, but I can certainly control how I play into a situation and how I participate. Absolutely. Yeah. The problem is not Matthew or his addiction or, or me as a parent or my wife or the, our siblings. The problem is the blame game, how we communicate in a blaming and critical manner. Mm -hmm. And when I, as a father, can start to model owning my stuff and owning my part while having boundaries, because owning my stuff doesn't mean having poor boundaries either. I can have healthy boundaries and still mm -hmm. own my stuff. And that creates a foundation for healthy, authentic communication that's not blaming that actually helps people to change in a very real fundamental way. And that's what we've been practicing with us and Matthew for ever mm -hmm. since he was born. Matthew, what would you say for you in your recovery journey? What have been some of your greatest struggles as a sober person? Uh, I would say relationships is a big one. I mean, I really feel like with, with just everything around that, that critical time of being a teenager, like 13 through through 18, I was I was just fighting and I was um, just using and, and it was really like I just none of my old friends wanted to be around me. A lot of my friends' parents said I couldn't spend time with them and it was really ostracized. So it was like in a lot of ways, like I wasn't developing like social skills. I wasn't developing like study skills, like just basic life things. And it was it was a huge process for me to kind of teach teach myself those things and you know, I'd say, I'd say like a lot of, a lot of sub, like substance use started for me as a way to cope with like a lot of my anger. Um, and I was diagnosed with a mood disorder. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to numb myself. Um, so I'm not feeling anything. So learning how to, how to regulate that without any substances, going through the ups and downs of life and being able to kind of just find normal ways to, to cope with things, which I think is, yeah, challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I just always like to talk about the struggles in recovery because I think there's a misconception that I'm going to put my substance down and magically my life is going to transform and everything's going to be okay. And the truth is I put my substance down and that was really the only coping mechanism I had. Right. <laughs> and then life continues to be life, which is, you know, a series of curveballs pretty regularly. And I just had no coping skills, you know? So I just like 
to always ask people like what were some of the hardest parts for you? You know, we put down our substances and we're trying to move forward, but but there are things that are hard. Relationships are hard for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Relation yeah. relationships are hard under the best of circumstances. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you throw a compulsive brain in there who, you know, is behind the ball in emotional maturity and we've got uh we've got some excitement mm-hmm. going on. <laughs> Now, also, if I could just add a little context to what Matthew just said, which was um, me and my wife and my twins were all built pretty socially, emotionally tuned in tune people. And Matthew was too, but he was really primarily came out of the womb a warrior. Matthew was a warrior from get go. He just is that built that way. And so when he was two years old and the twins were born, he got knocked off the throne really, really hard. And he wanted to throw them in the trash. They took away all his attention. And it was really painful and it was really difficult. And we struggled with that for years. And here are these twins. Everybody loves them. Everybody gathers around them, wants to be their friend. Here's Matthew as a warrior. They're by scared of him. And it was just so painful. And as parents, we watched that develop. And then the teen years, that took a really dark turn. But we watched all that development. But his temperament wasn't bad. It was just he had a set of gifts that helps him really go for things and go for what he wants and be a warrior. But that 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 struggle to learn how to be, I mean, Matthew is very gifted socially and emotionally, but he's had to really work at it and develop those skills. And, and, and it just didn't come naturally to him like it did to his brothers. Yeah. What were some of the challenges for you, Stephen, for you and your wife, like dealing with the addiction part? Like what were, because we always talk about feeling powerless, you know, and certainly as a bystander, so to speak, there's some true powerlessness when you're looking at an addict or alcoholic, you know, spiraling for sure and really doing damage to ourselves and our lives and um, and I know it scares you to death, but what were some of those challenges for you guys? Sure. Also, too, since I'm a therapist, I had to, you know, deal with my own sense of shame or guilt. Here I'm a therapist, and here's my son running amok, you know. So, I mean, I had to deal with my own sense, my own ego, wanting to look good in front of other people. I mean, there was one time, again, around when Matthew was around 13, where I was having a grand opening of my counseling office, and the stories in our book, where, and he beat up one of my twins in the parking lot during the grand opening of my counseling office and my wife's boss was walking by and saw the whole thing and stopped it and so suddenly here I am in a very public view of all of our family issues and what I had to do was keep my focus on what is most important which is my love for my son and my kids and that's what's the most important not what people think and I had to constantly let that go and let my own ego stuff go about what people are going to think and focus on what's important which is our relationships and my and, and my kids so that was that was one of them. The other thing is just like you said, that feeling of powerlessness. Like when Matthew was again around the same age in middle school, he got in a fight at school, and there was another kid who was bullying other kids. And, and Matthew thought he was going to be the sheriff in town, so he beat up this kid in the in the in the um after in the lunchroom outside behind the lunchroom. And I don't want to tell all your stories for you, Matthew, but I mean. The other kid didn't hit Matthew back. He went to the, the school resource officer, the police who was there, and he, Matthew had charges, and he had to go to court for a year. And we felt the injustice of that because we felt like there was it was two sides, but it, you know we had to let all that go. We had to focus on what's our responsibility for our part. And we had to own the fact that this was um, something. And, and so my, my, my grandmother is an alcoholic, and um, so there's that history of addiction in our in our family. And there's... Certainly histories of, you know, of anger and, and, and mental health issues in and, and different ways that we have to contend with and look at all that stuff. And so I, I guess 
part of the hardest part for me was letting go of looking good, letting go of that sense of I can't control things. I'm supposed to be there, but I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And, and my our family feels out of control at times. And focus on my love for, for, for Matthew, my love for, for me and my wife, and focus on trying to set boundaries where we could, but let go of the rest and let Matthew learn his own way in his own time. And let the process and the needs of the situation guide the process rather than my ego. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest biggest struggles for me. It's one of the biggest struggles for us on the addicted side too. <laughs> you know, that's a really right. big one that that I hear with my clients a lot and is that, um, you know, the admission of, and a lot of people don't like to use the word alcoholic, right? And it's the same thing. It's like a lot of that ego stuff. Well, I don't like the meaning that other people put on that word. So I don't want to say that about myself. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care what you want to call yourself. Right. But you do have to get to a place that you understand that you, that you just don't drink well, you know, it doesn't matter what words you want to use, but it is so much about what will people think of me? How will people respond? Will my friends still be my friends? You know, it's, it's a lot of that ego stuff is really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Matt, what was it for you? What was your final final? Like I have to get my life together and get sober. Yeah. Um, this is like kind of the the big story in the book we open everything with, but I was about 18 um, and I was taking painkillers and um, LSD at a friend's house and a girl I was, I was kind of seeing. And yeah, so I, I was starting to have a bad trip. Um, you know, and I have some family history of like schizophrenia and, and, um, to kind of preface and, and just some own, own stuff with myself. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel a lot really anxious and I, I look at her and I'm like, Hey, like I'm, I'm starting to like panic a little bit. Can you help me calm down? And she was like, you know, I, I don't, I don't really want to deal with your shit. Um, you're kind of bringing me down and I don't want you to ruin my trip. So I just, I was just like terrified, like in that moment. And I, I was like, I, I just need to leave the situation. And so she's like, well, give me your keys. So I gave her my keys and I was wandering around. I left. I forgot to put on my shoes, no shirt or no, no I, I had a short sleeve shirt and like pants. And um, yeah, I'm just like wandering around. It's like February and there's some snow on the ground and, and it's really cold. And so like, I just totally get lost. And then I, I finally find my car and my car's unlocked, but there's no heat. So I'm just like sitting in my car, like shivering. I'm like going through my phone and I'm like, even call a couple friends. And it was just like, most you know, like just, I was like, I don't, I don't really have any real friends. I, I don't really have anyone who's here for me right now who wants to, to deal with this. And, and people were kind of like, yo, like, I don't really want to deal with your shit. My, my mom had like sent me a text kind of checking in and um, she, she does that a lot. And, and I was just like, I'm, I'm going to like freeze to death and like lose my mind in this car. And it was like, I need help. And so I called them and, and um, I'm just like really high and really scared. And I, I don't re I don't remember the address. I don't really know who I am. And then I tell my dad, like, you know, this, I think I see the cross streets and then he, he's able to find me. Um, and they come and pick me up from the car and, um, we made it home and, and it was just like, it was kind of, I've had, I've had friends kind of describe this, this similar thing too, just on certain psychedelics, but it was like all these memories were playing in my head and just all of these mistakes. And I just felt so much shame and like guilt about like all these relationships I'd, I'd really ruined and, um, all these decisions that decisions that I'd made. So my whole life is kind of like running through my eyes and I'm just like crying in the, dark, the, the car with my dad. And I keep saying like, Oh, like, um, I lost all the love where to go. And, and, my, and my dad was like, you know, it never left. 
I really, I really think without, without them, I don't know what it would have happened. Um, even with them kind of supporting me and taking care of me, I was, I went in and out of psychosis for about a month. So like, I, I couldn't really walk around. I remember like trying to walk my dog and I just was like, it was like overstimulated. It was like too much. And I like, I had to go back home and, um, it, it felt like some sort of triggered psychosis. And, um, and, and thankfully it was, it started to go away and, and I, I was doing a lot of yoga and, and, and meditation and, and my parents were really just kind of, you know, taking care of me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was almost like kind of able to, like, I was going back to this like earlier state of like, kind of, just, I just felt like a child and I like couldn't do anything for myself and couldn't really work. And then they were just kind of taking care of me. So after that, I was like, got really into yoga and meditation. I, I just, for whatever reason, that was kind of like, you know, I just kind of quit doing everything. And, um, you know, I, I had a few more encounters with certain substances over the years, but I was like, no more, no more painkillers, no more, like just kind of the harder stuff I was, I was doing it was just like, I don't want to feel like shit all the time. And just really started taking care of myself and learning a lot about the brain, learning a lot about nutrition and, and, um, yeah. I love that. When did the idea of writing a book together come up? I was working in treatment and I, I was able to lead like some groups you know, it was like kind of common for a lot of my coworkers and the therapists to like share their own personal stories and was appropriate. And, and, and a lot of the guys I was working with would ask. So I was like, yeah, just kind of sharing my life experiences. And it was just kind of hard for me to define, like define myself up until that point. And I was just like, am I an addict or like, what, what am I, what does all of this stuff mean? Cause it, it was it just like, had been like this whirlwind of like, I'm just going through all these things and just trying to cope. And then finally, like I have this place to just reflect and like write. And it was like, that was like really this time of like defining who I was and, and being able to share my story. And then I, I was like writing some blog posts and I started really thinking a lot. And then I, I shared a couple of post, uh, blog posts that I'd written with my dad. And then he really wanted to to add his side. And then just, I think over the course of a couple of years, we'd written a little bit in the last six months, we got really serious and found a friend to help us publish and, and just really got on top of it. So. And Steven, what has this experience been like putting this book together with your son, seeing how far he's come and how different his life is today? It's been really beautiful, honestly, being able to tell the story. It's been a real healing process for us. And, you know, as Matthew was telling that story about his, his LSD trip, I was just getting emotional just remembering how that moment in the car where he kept on saying, the love is all gone, the love is all gone, where did it go? And I was telling him, it's right here, it never left. And just in that moment of just holding that space of love for him, even when he felt completely lost and completely couldn't find any of it, and then the next month when he was in such a dark place and me and his mom were just really, really scared for him, and wondering if he was ever going to come back. And those moments, and then us being able to actually write the stories of those and see where he is today, it's really incredibly powerful, incredibly beautiful. And like I said, Matthew was telling that story, and I was getting emotional, and then suddenly thinking about, you know, because when Matthew was saying he was working at a treatment center, he started you started working overnights. And so in overnights in a treatment center, you have more time because everybody's asleep. So he was writing all these posts. He'd be writing these posts, these really personal blog posts. I and mean, we're friends on Facebook. So me and my wife, we look at and my wife be like, oh, crap, my family's going to read this. <laughs> like, oh, okay, now we're telling those stories. And so, you know, we, we just kind of kept going from there. And we're like, yeah, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tell the stories. You know, Matthew's leading the way, and we're just going to follow. We're going to do it. Okay, let's do it. So, yeah, 
I think it was working overnights at that treatment center and seeing all those blog posts coming out and me and Matthew talking, interacting about it is where all that got kicked off. So what is the name of the book? Tell everybody a little bit about, Stephen, if you want to, the name of the book um, and your workshops. That was the other thing. Right. So the name of the book is Light Shines to the Broken Pieces, A Father and Son's Journey to Healing. And the workshop is Healing Parent-Child Relationships. I, I love the title, which Matthew totally came from him, because um, uh, even though all of our lives just feel so felt so broken during all that time, the the light was always shining through. The love I always felt for him, and I never doubted for a moment what an amazing, beautiful human being Matthew is and was. I never never wavered from that knowing and that belief, and and neither did his mother, and neither did well. I guess Matthew did at times, but we never did. And that was the light shining through the broken pieces that, and all the, the amazing wisdom and beautiful characteristics that Matthew has. Because while he's always ha- had these intense emotions, he's always had this profound wisdom. I mean, there was a, a teacher of his in elementary school that would say, we're just waiting for the next pearls of wisdom to come out of Matthew's mouth. Because he would say all these really great things in school that his teacher would write down and would tell us what he was saying. Because he always was, I mean, when we were little and we are we're sitting there reading story time. We're reading the Disney version of um, uh, Scrooge, The Grand Night Before Christmas. And he's like, Mom, kids should go to the doctor for free. When, you know, Tiny Tim couldn't go to the doctor because they didn't have any money. You know, he's like, oh, why can't he just go to the doctor? He always had this heart for people. He always had this wisdom and this compassion that's now coming to the forefront. And I see, as I see that part of him emerge from the foundation of love that we've tried to create in our family, it's just so moving and so touching to me to see what a, a beautiful man he is, to see that emerging, that's probably what's most touching and most moving for me. And doing this process with this book and the workshops is just an expression of that, of that, um, that love that we have for each other. So there you go. Sure. And are you guys doing workshops only in person? Is there an online component too? So people that aren't in your city or state could still participate? Yes. Yes. We're doing virtual as well as in person. Okay, good. Um, and that's something that we're we're um, developing now. And by the time this podcast comes out, we'll have all that in place. And so if people are interested, you just go to our, our website, FisherTransformation.com, and it'll all be right there. And I will link all of that in the show notes for you guys listening to, so you can get there right from your podcast app, wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, it will also be on the website and in the Facebook group. So we'll make sure you have all of that information so you can find Matt and Stephen You guys, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I mean, this is a really cool opportunity for us to hear both sides of it, too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Matthew, any pearls of wisdom? (laughs) At the end of the day, like, it just, I think everything comes down to love and relationships, you know, and I think, I think every time I've seen someone successfully recover I, or whatever, it's just, just really reconnecting with the people in your life and, you know, learning to love yourself. It's so true, though, and it's the hardest thing for us to do. And it also seems to be the last thing anybody wants to put energy into. <laughs> You know, we, we put all that energy into trying yeah. to change everything around us instead of really focusing on ourselves, which is what really matters. 
Well, thank you so much, you guys. And for the listeners out there, you will also see an upcoming video with the three of us again. That will be available in the Facebook group too. So if you are not a member there, get your happy buns over there. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash addiction unlimited. And uh, we'll see you soon. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.